Hello, 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 and welcome to Hawaiian Shirt Night on Break the Cycle. Be your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone's having a wonderful Wednesday. We're halfway there. It's almost the weekend. I know you guys are stoked. I got one more day of work, and then I get a three-day weekend, so I'm excited. Uh, let's check out some sponsors. As per the usual, we got Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs. Delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And, of course, my friend, my partner, one of the coolest guys on the Internet, TopLobster.com for all your wonderful graphic design needs. I am not wearing any... Uh, any Top Lobster tonight, obviously, but I do have the custom Break the Cycle pillow that you can get at toplobster.com using BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Or you can join the Patreon, subscribe star, or become a member of this channel here uh, and get into a private Discord server where you get a 30% discount on brand new designs for up to two weeks before they go out to the general population. And I'm telling you, this guy makes the best stuff. All of his gear is quality. And, of course, executive producers of the show, anthemplanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. These people are doing a job that the government sucks at for a much cheaper price and much more efficiently. See what they can do today for you, your business, or your personal life and home. Uh, they're amazing. Guys, I am so excited. I know I always say I'm excited for shows. I am. I, I always get excited. I'm still excited today, to, today that all these wonderful people are, are willing to come on and talk to me. But today is an extra special day because I have my good friend, uh, uh, Dr. Or, sorry. I know I was gonna go. I was gonna go way into it, but he's the host of the Tom Wood Show. He is burning the index card of allowable opinion. He is Mr. Doctor Tom Woods. How you doing today, sir? Doing well, Josh. What's going on? Ah, uh, you know I can't complain. I can't complain. I'm hanging in there, man. So, uh, you know we got to do it. We got to we got to address Shirtgate first before we before we can move on. Where is this hate for Hawaiian shirts coming from, Tom? Well, first of all. I think I posted about it back on June 30th. It's now, what is it, uh, July 14th, so it's been two going weeks. on two weeks. <laughs> and, you know, when I look at my Facebook notifications and I see people are still responding to that, I think, the thread is two weeks old. Let it go. Let it go. Uh, now, the thing is, I did actually, if you can believe it, there are, um, and I don't blame libertarians for this. I think this is probably true of any group. You'll always find two or three humorless people who really, really took this personally, like an attack on them. Look, I don't care what you wear. Wear whatever you want. I don't care. It's just my opinion. <laughs> what difference does that could that possibly make? And I, I had people saying, I wish I had the kind of time he seems to have to be worried about what other people are wearing. And I, and I thought, well, first of all, it took me five seconds, so I didn't need that much spare time to type out that Facebook. It's just crazy. But, yeah, I'm, I'm anti-Hawaiian shirt because I, I think where it originally came from, though, is back from my workaholic days. In my workaholic days, I hated going on vacation because I thought it, it was it's frivolously spent time. Think of all the productivity I could be having and think of all the accomplishments and all the work I could be doing. And so... I would be surrounded in these areas uh, where we would go vacationing by people wearing Hawaiian shirts who just symbolized for me the lazy, frivolous bum and all that. And I just, so I think it kind of stuck in my head from my jerk days. Now I am addicted to traveling more than work. So you would think I might have lightened up a little bit on the Hawaiian shirt people. I just can't bring myself entirely to come around on it, though. We gotta get you. We gotta get you some really cool Hawaiian shirts, like some some graphic. No, that's not happening. I mean, because if you say that, people are gonna send them to me, and that's gonna make me feel bad because I'm never gonna wear them. Okay, that's not ever ever gonna happen. Never. You, you you know what's gonna happen at your at your celebration, right? You know everyone's yeah, showing so, up. Yeah. So one of my daughters, uh, I can't remember if it was the 11 or the 16 year old, but one of them said, "Oh no, 16 year old uh, Veronica," said, "Well, you should tell them that you really really hate." Um, large inflatable rubber duck floaties for the swimming pool because maybe they'll also show up wearing those like basically make, make them look as ridiculous as possible she, she says you know by by claiming you hate all these various things maybe they'll show up looking even more ridiculous and i thought oh this kid's clever yeah that is smart that's smart you could get she people showing up you could get people showing up in the uh the dildo butt monkey costume from U the uk the other day man <laughs> <laughs> uh so would you say would you say that we uh, it's not enough to be simply pro pants we must be actively anti shorts? All right, I'll say another. So you're also <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for all I know, you're wearing underwear there, but I, I'm sure you're going to assure me that it's shorts. Um, it is. 
Yeah, so look, I, I, I wore shorts for a long time. And so I said recently that uh, men don't wear shorts, uh, that, that uh, you're not 12 years old anymore. Nobody wants to see your legs. And then I got like three women saying, I want to say that. Not, nah, uh, well, you know, go, go on. That's what the Internet is for, all the legs. <laughs> but then I started getting photos of there's Ron Paul wearing shorts. And all right, when you're Ron Paul, you can wear shorts. <laughs> And that was just my opinion that I feel like a little boy when I'm wearing. I mean, that's just over. I used to wear them. So then the response again, now it's like, I'm, I don't, again, I don't know why people give a shit, you know, like, why do they care so much? I had people saying, I, I, honestly saying to me, oh, so I suppose I'm supposed to show up to my construction job wearing a suit and tie. So Josh, are those the two options, either shorts or a suit and tie? We have nothing in between <laughs> shorts or a suit and tie. It's, it's my view. I don't go for this whole crazy thing where men have to wear a jacket and tie wherever they go. Um, if you're at Pork Fest walking around a campground in a coat and tie, you look like you're wearing a costume. You look ridiculous. You shouldn't do that. I'm not saying you always have to wear a coat and tie. Look at me. I'm not wearing a coat and tie. Um, I just... I think it's a bad look for men. That's all. Fair, fair, fair. I'm a big fan of cargo shorts. You can hold uh, more magazines that way. Not your, not your, it's, they're not, those pockets are not made for your, your, you know, fiance's lipstick and stuff. They're made for magazines. But uh, we got some, some super chats. I just want to shoot, shout out Elijah Marquez. He can only assume that Tom is wearing his beloved cargo shorts in the artwork as well. Uh, Timothy Halpenny finally caught a live video. Thank you, sir. And Nick Ashley asks uh, Tom if he'd rather have a beer with Nick Fuentes, Nick Sarwark, or Nick Ashley. Okay, I do. Am I, am I embarrassing myself by saying I don't recognize the name Nick Ashley? No, no, he's just a Twitter shit poster. It's fine. He's like the greatest okay. Twitter shit poster, but I mean, he's he's a Twitter shit poster. All right, well then, then it would be him because I I'm not interested in the other two. Fair, fair, and he I, actually uh, the the channel members of my YouTube channel, one of the custom emojis that they get is actually a picture of Nick, uh, Nick Ashley like hand drawn by top lobster. It's pretty cool. But anyways, so Nick oh. Ashley can be consoled and comforted knowing that he won this contest by process of elimination. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Best possible way. <laughs> absolutely. All right. We're going to get into some more serious stuff here. We had to address, we had to address shirt gate. It was very important to my viewers. I mean it, that everyone was asking, uh, I think we've cleared it up now. Everyone gets it. Uh, but so, so Tom, let's talk. Something I've never really listened to, um, or heard much from you is, how, how did you get involved with the Mises Institute? How, how did that come to, to pass? I was a young pup when this happened. I, I was a student before. I mean, we had email, but we didn't really have, I don't think there was a Mises.org website. In fact, I'm certain there was not. It was 1993, and I think it was in Reason Magazine or one of these magazines where I saw a, a print ad for the Mises University program. And I thought, well, this sounds, Sounds really interesting. I mean, what a nerd. This sounds interesting. I could spend a week of my summer studying economics at the Mises Institute. And so I went. And it was unbelievable. And the thing is, I wanted to learn everything I could. So they, they mail you some books, and then they give you some recommended articles in scholarly journals. But they're hard to track down. They're not as hard to track down in the age of the internet, but they were hard to track down then. But I had access to a really great university library. So I started tracking down these optional readings and photocopying them and reading those. I mean, I was such a nerd. I had read everything by the time I showed up for that thing. And it was such a great experience. The students I met were great. The faculty, some of them are still teaching at uh, Mises University. I mean, Walter Block's almost 80 now, but, I, but he was there. Murray Rothbard gave the opening lecture, and I got to meet him. Um, that was the first time I ever met him. So, yeah, you go to a Mises University with Murray Rothbard, that leaves an impression. And, you know, these days it's fashionable to be anti-Rothbard. I'm telling you, this is a small—this is like anti-Ron Paul. Like, no normal person in the libertarian world is anti-Rothbard. Because you, you wonder, have you read any of his books? I mean, what's wrong with them? I don't see what's wrong with them. That doesn't mean you have to agree with every single point. He was a pioneer. Maybe he will make some mistakes. But, man, was he productive and his enormous output. I mean, I don't know if it's envy or, or pettiness or what. But anyway, even though it's fashionable today to be anti-Rothbard, I'll tell you, he was surrounded by students everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, he, he was surrounded by them. And he, uh, there was one, Lou Rockwell tells the story from that year, that, that, that sometimes Rothbard would be listening to you, and he would be in this posture, like, you know, like he'd be doing this while he was thinking about what you were saying. And without realizing it, 
the other students, all, all of a sudden, they were all kind of doing this, like not mocking him, but somehow it just seemed like the thing to do. So everybody was doing that. And he was the sort of guy who it would be one o'clock in the morning and most of the faculty would be ready to go to bed. And he'd say, let's go to Denny's. I mean, come on, how could you not love that guy? I could see. So that, that was that was what my start was. And then before you know it, I was uh, speaking at conferences and stuff. That's so cool. You got to hang out with all these guys. Uh, man, Murray Rothbard. I mean, Murray Rothbard is really who brought me to the Mises Institute as well and, and the ideas of Mises. I mean, it, well, if it wasn't for Rothbard, I may have never found uh, Ludwig von Mises um, or, or you or for that matter. I mean, really, and I keep, you know, I keep a couple of his books back here. Definitely for a new liberty. Egalitarianism is a revolt. Uh, yeah, for nature. a new liberty is such a great primer on libertarianism. I mean, who could really dispute that? I, I don't understand. Yeah, it's it's one. I mean, if that's the book that opened the window that I could never close. That's what I say. Yeah, if, if, if for, you know, before that, I had read uh, Capitalism and, and Libertarianism by Milton Friedman. And uh, I actually read the, uh, the read the road to serfdom by F.A. Hayek prior to this. And then I read For a New Liberty, and it was like, that was it. Yeah, Sky that's right. the one. Yeah. yeah, honestly, that's the one, more than those other books. Now I've tried to get through Human Action, I don't know, 27 times, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but you should read Bob Murphy's book, Choice, instead. That'll give you all the human action you need. Yeah, it's like the it's like the condensed, like, Bob Murphy version. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, you know, that's what most normal people do need, is that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I do love some of Mises' idiosyncratic word choices. I mean, he did write human action in English. Sure. He had written some of his other books in German, but he started, he came over to the U.S. and he wrote in English. And Henry Hazlitt, who of course wrote Economics of One Lesson, helped him with his, to smooth out his English. But he, he uses these formulations that you so rarely hear other people use. Like he'll say, uh, you know, this myth was exploded when so-and-so. The word exploded to refer to refuting a myth is so awesome. I just love that. I, I try to sprinkle it into my prose here and there. But now these days, of course, you use the word explode and you get put on a list. But but in the old days, we understood he was being metaphorical. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and he he uh, he, he definitely English definitely wasn't his his first language. So no, so it really it was a hard transition for him. Of course, I mean, I think he was fifty nine when he uh, let's see, was he born in eighty one? Came in nineteen forty. Yeah, I guess he was fifty nine when he came to the U S. And he had to start his career all over again. That's no uh, no easy feat, but he wound up being enormously productive even then. Sure, sure. So one of my favorite stories from anybody from anybody at the Mises Institute is came from Walter Block. Uh, the, the, one of the first interviews I ever did uh, for any kind of media that I had ever done was when I was working for Think Liberty. This was way before you knew me, before I ran for chair the first time, and I had Walter Block on. Now Walter doesn't have any social media, so I had to track him down through email. Uh, you know, like, like normal people. And, uh, I did, and he was, he was happy to oblige, you know, he's a very nice guy. He's always willing to do cool stuff for people. And, uh, he talked to me about how, when he was in college, he was very good friends with Bernie Sanders and, uh, and, uh, he was a socialist and he went up to this luncheon with this lady that, um, was a, you know, a, a capitalist or whatever. And he went up and tried to debate her at the luncheon and the guy pushed him aside, Hey man, go read this book and come back later. And then he, he, he later, you know, come to find out it was Ayn Rand, and uh, he did read the book, and then he came around to who, where he is today, this Austro-Libertarian. But what are what are some of your favorite stories about uh, uh, people at Mises? Do you got any good ones? Oh, jeez, that's a good one. Well, you know, they would. Well, yeah, I've I've got a story about Hans Hoppe. All right, because you know it's fashionable to dislike Hans Hoppe, and and, and again, the people who dislike Hans Hoppe, they've never read anything by him. Never, they read the the four forbidden sentences or something, you know. And I I just can't stand people like that. Well, I heard third hand that there are these four forbidden sentences. You know, go jump in a lake, you anti-intellectual fool. I mean, you read you read um, Hans's book, The Economics and Ethics of Private Property, and it's just if that doesn't knock your socks off, I don't know. Maybe you're not understanding it. I don't know, but that's a brilliant book. As is a theory of social. Socialism and capitalism. Anyway, um, I'll put it this way: I don't want to name the name because I, I really I don't want to I I don't want to start fights, especially especially not you know like 16 years after the offending thing happened. But somebody, kind of on the on the outskirts of our circles, wrote a a, a fairly mixed to negative review of my politically incorrect guide to American history. Now. The one extravagant, now that book sold really well, and most books make the author no money at all. And people have this impression that you write a book and you retire. No, almost no book makes the author any money at all. This book made me a lot of money at that time. I, I've since burned through all of it, so don't come looking to me for 
being a benefactor. I burned through all that money years ago. But the one extravagance I allowed myself back in 2005 was I bought a BMW, okay? And I had that thing for four or five years. And then I had enough kids that we couldn't fit them all in the BMW, so I had to move into the minivan world. Then I get back, I realized that they have an SUV that could fit seven people. So anyway, that, but that doesn't matter. The point is, I bought this car, it was great. So anyway, one day I had dinner with Hans and one or two other people, and I showed him the car when we got, got to the restaurant. And we started talking about this review of my book written by this guy that we don't really care for. And Hans's response, he said, he said, um, he said, you should say, uh, you should say to him, what kind of car do you drive? <laughs> that was his response. <laughs> okay. That's great. We, uh, I had, I had Stefan Kinsella on the show last night. He's, uh, he's such a sweetheart in person too. You know, he's, he's, uh, he gets this bad rap online, but he, t- he told me the story. I didn't realize it was him. It was Michael Malice that gave the, the helicopter to Hoppe at the Mises, the Mises event in New York. And that Kinsella was the one who took the picture with him. I totally forgot about all that. So he told me that whole story and it was hilarious. Hoppe, Hoppe's hilarious. He's not really, he's not really, uh, up on all the meme culture that surrounds him, but he, he sounds like he's a pretty funny guy. Well, well, let me just say, by the way, I think now I've got the right microphone right. And you're really, you're really low. You're really low. So can you hear me? You're very low. Very low. All right. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to blast it on up there. Mm. Are we getting any better? Yes. We're getting there. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, it it didn't default to it for some reason. So who knows? I I suppose you saw the story by, by uh, Stefan recently about, I guess, he was driving around with uh, Juan Fernando uh, Carpio, and, and uh, they called Hans. And I guess at the moment he called, Stefan started choking on an M&M. And so Hans was having trouble hearing and understanding him. So Juan says, uh, oh, uh, Stefan is, you know, he just, an M&M went down the wrong, the wrong pipe. And Hans says, Stefan, call me when you are not choking. And he hung up. <laughs> that's hilarious man i can't i I just can't imagine he's he's, he seems like a really funny guy man uh somebody wanted to somebody wanted to know from you so uh who who do you think the most effective libertarian today is concerning real change and freedom in in america at least but maybe the world too oh geez you know as soon as i give an answer to this there'll be people telling me oh what about so and so and they'll all be right they'll all be right i'm very bad at superlatives you know who's the best this the more effective most effective that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think some of the ideas that John Bush has with his freedom cells, um, have, have a lot of potential. Obviously there are a lot of Bitcoin people, um, doing valuable work. I mean, we, we need some educational work done. That's true. But in terms of actually making real change, well, also Michael Bolden of the 10th amendment center has made it possible for people to talk about at the state level, actually resisting some of the things the federal government is doing and, and, and actually taking back liberties uh, for people. So those are all great. Uh, those are all great things. I, I think Michael is a, is, just a, is a wonderful example of somebody who just, he just took the bull by the horns. He was one guy working out of his apartment and he believed in certain ideas. And then, you know, what do you know? But then, then Connor Boyack is doing incredible educational work with his children's book series, the Tuttle Twins. Oh, sure. He's got... Uh, an animated series he's he's uh, he's working on, and um, he's got books for for young adults. And uh, I mean, he is a he's produced. He's probably I don't know what his age is now, but he's got to be 15 years younger than I am, or at least 10 or 12 years younger. And he's on his 29th book. You know <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why we we have all the Tuttle Twins books here at the house for our you know 70 70 thousand kids that we we have here in the house. So. Uh, and, and we get them to read right now. Actually, we, uh, I just gave you a history book to my daughter and told her she needed to check it out. And she also, uh, she has for a new Liberty, the, the big, the big, huge version. I got her the big, huge version. Uh, she hasn't read it yet. And I also just gave her uh, Jordan Peterson's 12 rules book and said, you know, this is probably one of the most important books, but I, t- I totally agree with you. I mean, Michael Bolden is, I don't think, I don't think people understand the work that Michael Bolden does sometimes. Even some libertarians don't really understand how much work that guy does. I mean, when it comes to legislative season, that guy is, he might as well be, you know, he's right. He's actually writing legislation for people. Well, you know, the, the 10th Amendment Center produces these amazing uh, 
the draft legislation, templates basically, that people, legislators across the country can use in their states. So the, the hard work is done. Uh, and that's half the battle sometimes. And, and Michael does that. So yeah, I, I contribute pretty substantially to them every month just because, because what, they, what they produce is tangible. And what I produce is actually not that tangible. That doesn't mean it's not useful. I mean, it's like um, when, when Coca-Cola runs an ad on a billboard, I'm sure that does something, but it's, it's hard to know exactly what. Uh, like I have people saying that, oh, you converted me from such and such, and then they went on and wrote a great book, and so I indirectly contributed to that. But, but somebody like Michael Bolden, like we can say in Missouri, this Second Amendment uh, Protection Act, uh, you know, or whatever the wording of it is, this is from him. I mean, this the, he basically led that charge. So I found out that apparently I'm the biggest monthly donor to the Tenth Amendment Center. So apparently I've gone way overboard. But that's how much I respect him. I'm gonna. I'll hear you, but I just need to get up and and put the. When I came in the office here, I didn't adjust the air conditioning. I always. I I don't leave the air conditioning super, super cool in here when I'm not in here. Um, so now I've just sat down and it is a furnace in here. So go just ahead. A second. You live in Florida. But I, I can still hear you. I, I don't want you to mail. I'm going to, I'm going to address some of these, uh, these super chats. Anyways, quest fanning. Thanks a lot for the, uh, four super chat. Nick is offering a false option. He'll be drinking all four of the beers. Thank you, sir. Uh, rogue Liberty from across the pond in UK. Go, go check out his, uh, his podcast. It's a good podcast. If you like, uh, the British, the British, uh, accent, Tom, thanks for bringing me on board with libertarianism. What are your thoughts on what's happening with John Schaefer? He was great on your show last year. Yeah, well, uh, I helped to get him his lawyer. So, you know, I I was contacted by somebody close to him saying, uh, you know, he's not sure what to do and he, he needs representation. And I said, I think I can find somebody who would do it for him pro bono. So I hooked him up with somebody and my understanding is that they are working together. But then um, that person stopped being able to get information about the case. So I don't exactly know what the status is, but I know that, you know, that the whole thing is absurdly overblown. And, you know, of course, his career is ruined. The rest of the band, because because they're all cowards, they all abandoned him, uh, his band Iced Earth. And then the the other guy he worked on with, um, uh, darn it, what, what, Wizards, and uh, I can't remember what it's called, but his other, uh, the, the band he had with Hansi Kurtz, well, Kurtz has abandoned him too and denounced him. So his life's ruined, his career's ruined, um, you know. And, I mean, there really isn't anything else I can do for him other than get him a free lawyer. Sure. But yeah, I don't know exactly what the what the the, the details of this very moment with him are. Sure, sure. Uh, Stitz four, thanks for the uh, super chat shout out. He said Josh told me he'd give me an ebook if I gave him five dollars. Not sure where he gets all of them. So so we let's talk about some ebooks here. You're you're like the king of ebooks. Now I've I've actually created uh, a landing page where you guys can send your email to because I intend to start putting out ebooks. Now they will be nowhere near as good as Tom book Tom's uh, ebooks. But how do you make do you ever make money off these ebooks at all? Or is this all just uh, a charity for the movement, man? Oh my goodness, Joshua Smith, do I have to take you from naive la la land into the harsh reality of of money making? Okay, so. <laughs> The strategy behind the ebooks is is it, it's it's multifold. Let's say so. Number one, it gets my name out there because it you know you know everybody's favorite word is free. Sure. And if people can get a free book or a a free video or something, they like it. So it's a way of getting my name out there. It also advertises my podcast because some, not all, but some of my ebooks are repurposed podcast uh, episode transcriptions. So I'll take the episodes I've done on healthcare, get transcripts of them, bundle them together, and release it as your Facebook friends are wrong about healthcare. So I already had those episodes, so it's not a huge amount of work just to compile the transcripts and make it into a book. And so at the end of each chapter, I say, if you enjoyed this chapter, well, I'm producing material of this quality every single weekday at this link. So it encourages people to sign up for the podcast. So that's the second thing. So number one is the name. Number two is the podcast. But number three... The real thing is the email list itself, because I, I think I put out a fairly decent newsletter. Now, this week, I've just I've got a lot going on. I got Mises University next week. I got Freedom Fest where I'm speaking four times. You know, something's got to give here. So I, I don't think I, I didn't release. Uh, I only wrote to one of my two email lists today. But the idea of the email list, though, is uh, 
this is how I follow up with people because anybody who's interested in one of my eBooks would be interested in the other things that I have to offer, uh, like Liberty Classroom, you know, sure. which teaches people history and economics, or like the Ron Paul Homeschool curriculum, or anything like that, or who may want to support me and get the various benefits at my supporting listeners website. So once they get the ebook, they get on the mailing list. And then every weekday, I send them something really interesting that they feel compelled to open. And then at the end of that thing, I make a pitch for something. Uh, or I send them to an episode of my show to get them used to listening to the show. But the idea of that is, if somebody objects to that, like, hey, you're pitching me something at the end of this email, then get off my list. I'm, I don't cater to commies. I'm not <laughs> interested in that person. Because in the same way that we don't begrudge an AM radio host who spends an hour talking to us and then takes seven minutes to, to run through some ads. We don't say, we don't turn off the radio indignantly and say, I'll never listen to that guy again. Uh, no normal person does that. Well, that's the same, same principle with email. And so that, and that, that is the business model, is that you give away something for free. Even though the newsletter itself is free, that's often not enough to get people to sign up. You have to give them what Bob Bly calls something free on free. You've got to give them a free book to get them to sign up for your free mailing list. I, you know, I don't know, because mostly people don't want to get email. That's until they get my emails. Then they say, wait a minute, I, I guess on second thought, I do want these emails. So, but that's the model, that uh, you give them something they really want, and I've come up with some pretty darn good emails, uh, or e-books. Like, for example, I, I came up with one that's particularly appropriate these days because I keep seeing left libertarians saying that the squad are the best libertarians in Washington right now. The squad would be AOC and her colleagues. Of course. So I, I wrote an ebook called AOCIsWrong.com. Or, or, oh, it's called AOC is Wrong, and the website is AOCIsWrong.com. What's interesting about that one, by the way, is when I reserved AOCIsWrong.com, she wasn't yet being called AOC. That happened a little bit later. That was just a guess on my part. I thought, well, I'm not going to say Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's too long. So I just abbreviated it, and it turned out to be the abbreviation she started going with. So I own AOCIsWrong.com, and it just goes through all the areas where she's wrong. But yeah, that's the model. I give away something people really want, and people do want to see, even though they kind of know how to answer her arguments. They don't necessarily know all the facts and figures, sure. but I got them. And so then in return, they wind up on my mailing list, and then, frankly, I sell them things. But the thing is, you don't have to buy anything. If you don't want anything, don't buy it. Same with when you listen to the radio. You could listen to Rush Limbaugh for 50 years, never buy a single thing. It doesn't matter. You can keep listening. True. I've never uh, I've never woken up in the morning and saw uh, Tom Woods' email in my in my email uh in my email folder that I was upset about getting. Oh, thank you. Just, That's exactly yeah. what I'm shooting for. Yeah, thank usually you. I usually wake up and I'm like, ooh, new Tom Woods email. I, I feel that like most of the people on your list feel that way. You know, we all get thank really you. excited because it's always thank it's not a short email. I mean, you usually have this really nice long email. It's a nice thing that we all get to read. It tells I, us I, story. I work on it. Yeah, it's work. Yeah, <laughs> thankfully right now my fiance does most of the emails. So, <laughs> well, that helps. That helps. See, right now it's the summertime, and that, and that means that during the day. You know, I can be spending time with my kids more than I can ordinarily be spending time with them because they don't have any schoolwork. And every once in a while, the email just, you know, doesn't happen. True. But that's the nice thing about running your own thing, that if that doesn't happen, nobody can fire me. Right. You know, it's my thing. I, I just chose to, to, to forego whatever benefit I might have gotten from writing a newsletter that day because the benefit of being with the kids is out, you know, outweighs it. Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, Rich Clark, thanks for the uh, super chat, ten dollars super chat. He said Tom's leg, Tom's legs are unreasonably hot right now. If only there was a market solution for that. <laughs> Jeez, they're never going to let you live this down ever. No, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> by the way, by the way, if it matters, because I'm just I'm being comfortable around the house today. I'll let you know what I've got on. Uh oh, under here. here we go. I got I just have like sweatpants on, just like ordinary like exercise style pants right here. Okay. Yeah, look at that. Tom's showing off the Tom's showing off the extra. You know, I, I got pants like that too because I live in the Midwest, Tom. You know what I mean? So like in the winter, well, shorts don't they just don't work. I point this out just so people don't think I walk around my house in a coat and tie. I don't know where they're getting this idea. <laughs> uh Top Lobster is the guy who does all the art for the show. He's the one that drew drew that wonderful thumbnail of you. He said, uh, you're indirectly responsible for him drawing me. Uh he was actually he told me a story that he was very frustrated with the sales aspect of his artwork. And uh, he actually talked. He, you were the one who told him to listen to a Adam something, um, and it changed his whole pers perspective. So, oh, it, it might have been Ben Settle, but I. Oh no! Oh no! 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 Adam Schneider. Yeah. Yep. That's who it was. Because Adam Schneider is a Mises Caucus guy. Yeah. And and I think he designed the Mises Caucus merch store, 
and he's just uh, an absolute expert at at coming up with designs that sell, uh, like on on Etsy and Amazon and stuff. And um, I even paid for my own mother to get two hours worth of consult uh, with him. Uh, so he's he really is great. He's a good guy to get to know. Sure. He's stuck in Canada, poor Adam. Oof. So he hasn't been able to see the you know the sun in like a year and a half. Sure. Uh, well, let's let's talk about uh, geography a little bit. So you're Florida. You're a Florida man. Uh, how do, how has it been for you? I mean, during this whole, I mean, you've, you've written extensively on, on the COVID stuff, but how, how, how do you feel about like DeSantis and the way he's run your state and stuff like that during all this? Well, I mean, at the beginning he did, he did lock us down for a while and he's admitted that that was a mistake and very, very rare for a politician to admit that's a mistake because Trump can't admit that it was a mistake. He refuses to admit it, but DeSantis will admit it. So, I mean, that's at least something. But yeah, I remember my county had a curfew, a curfew. Like, what does this have to do with a curfew? Like, what does that have to do with anything? If, if anything, that means that people will crowd together even more during the hours when they're allowed to be out. I mean, what, why are you doing this? It doesn't even make sense. So that was annoying. And in fact, the first place to really open indoor dining, I'm pretty sure was Georgia, not Florida. I had not been indoors uh, eating a meal for a month and a half. And now I know there are a lot of people out there, they rarely go out to eat, they make all their own meals, and those are wonderful, salt-of-the-earth people. I cannot be those people, okay? I, I prepare some of my meals, but other times I'm a lazy bum and I want somebody else to serve me, okay? And so this was making me crazy. I mean, dining out is one of the pleasures of my life. So when Georgia opened up this, this much to let restaurants have dine-in customers, uh, Jenna and I got in the car, drove up to Atlanta, and <laughs> spent a week there, just eating at restaurants that were open. And it was a sliver of restaurants that were open, but they were there were some, there were some. Uh, we went to a Morton Steakhouse, that was the first place we went to after the, the craziness. But then also we went to a Waffle House, and we best. went to a Waffle House Simply at like the three best. in the morning, because there you go, right? I mean, they're open. Come on, and it was so weird. You were supposed to place your order and then stand outside and wait. And then when your food was ready, they would let you come in and sit down. And I remember this. And I think as I've been to Waffle House at three in the morning more times than I care to recall. But I'll just never forget that night. Although actually, no, this may have been in Dallas. We were we were going around looking at all the different places that were slightly opening up. We were taking trips. So we went to Dallas. That's where we went to uh, Waffle House. Texas was opening more than Dallas was because, as usual, the cities are run by leftists. But they, but I, I'll never forget sitting down at that Waffle House and hearing the the poor cashier saying to a customer at the register, um, "Sir, you're bleeding." And I remember thinking, working at Waffle House at three in the morning must be rough. Yeah. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Yeah. Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's T-S-I-D-P-O-D. Com because the system is down and truth is taking over. Yeah, could you so imagine? We always leave big tips. Of course, of course, as you should. I mean, it's it's Waffle House. Those those people are not making very much money, and they uh, they, they work, work their tails. Yeah. There have been times when I don't know how they must be exhausted at the end of the day. So I love to surprise them with some huge number on the receipt, but I've already left. So because I don't want them to tell me I'm great or whatever. I mean, I just want them to have a happy life. Sure. Uh, there was one time they tried to chase after me to say thank you, which I appreciate, but it's just awkward for us both. So I do. And also my kids appreciate that. Sure. Um, we, we were at a Denny's once and uh, at Christmas, we, we have this thing called the Christmas tip. And that means that we go out to dinner, but it has to be a place where it can't be a fancy place because some fancy places, the tip is going to be a hundred bucks just doing 20%, you sure. know? So, so we go to like a Denny's, you know, where where a lot of people will, will hang out. I don't want to mention particular demographics, but I'm talking about old people who will go and leave like a dollar twelve as a tip. You know, like it's rough. And so we'll go there and leave a hundred dollar tip. And that's called the Christmas tip. We do that every year. 
and one year we did it and we hadn't left yet by the time the waitress realized it. She was carrying a tray. She saw the amount of the tip and she dropped the tray. Oh. And the kids have never forgotten this moment. And she came over and told us what a lifesaver this was. And I remember thinking, my gosh, to, uh, that's hard yeah. to be in a spot where, where that one act of kindness is the difference between barely hanging on and disaster. True. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how many people are a hundred dollars away from from uh, being homeless. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred dollars yeah. away. It's... And I kind of got us uh, off uh, on a tangent, but but the nice thing about Florida though was that as it did start opening up, I could start resuming doing things I liked again. So I did see Rob Schneider do stand up comedy at a at a venue that I like very much, the King Center in Melbourne, and then um, I did get to see some live music, which has been good. Um, you know, and, and also I've been able to go to plays. I love the theater, and I've been able to see a couple of plays here. It's amazing to, to think that during all this, some people were rehearsing for a play. <laughs> How is this possible? But in, in DeSantis's Florida, it was possible. Sure. So I've, it, it, but it's been in a way bittersweet because at the same time, it's hard not to be reminded of all those people who would desperately love to see a play. You know, or, or 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 go to a movie, or or do all the things that I've been able to do, uh, but who can't do it. Sure. And so, on, on the one hand, I want to cherish the, the, these wonderful things about life, um, but I also want to remember other people who uh, are not having the same fortune. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. I, I agree. And and living in uh, in Iowa has been pretty nice too. I we had, like I said before, I think we had we were locked down. We weren't ever locked down, but our our uh, our restaurants went to like fifty percent capacity. Basically, that's all that really happened, and that happened for two and a half weeks, and then they stopped that. And then the the governor made mass mandates illegal after like thirty one days, and she refuses to do the COVID passports. And I had a state legislator from Iowa sit, come and sit on the couch a couple weeks ago. He broke it all down really well. And so, oh, that it, must be Jeff Shipley. It was Jeff Shipley. Yeah, he's he lives yeah. about uh, two hours away from me, and he drove all the way up and had dinner with the family, and then uh, sat on the couch and did a live show with me so great yeah it was pretty cool he's he's a he's an interesting guy for sure <laughs> i've known him for a long time and he still looks like he's 12 years old he does. I, saw him, I, <laughs> I don't know how he does it. i was surprised at how tall he was I, he's like he's as tall as me i was like man i thought he was gonna be much shorter um yeah. uh filmmaker 58 thanks for the 499 cha- uh, uh super chat he said if tom woods knew max justice existed i'd be happier culture precedes politics uh my friend does a uh a superhero web series on uh on youtube that's actually really cool called max justice and it's libertarianist stuff so uh, let's see voluntarius the comic series so excited for tom woods 2000 see all there. taxation is theft I'm sure. Yeah, I wonder who that is. You know, okay. you know who that is. You know who that yeah. is. Uh, <laughs> Shannon Lee, thank you for the ten dollars uh, super chat. Would Tom vote DeSantis if he runs for governor again? Also, scale from zero to ten. How scared is he of Malice's appearance at the two thousandth episode? All right, let's go in reverse uh, order. Let's start with Malice. Uh, I don't know who this guest is. I don't even know if it's a person. Like, I don't know if it's a human being. It could be a, an animal. Like, I. I with him, I don't even know. It could be an inanimate object. I don't even know with him. And we all know you can't rule out anything with that guy. Nothing. I've had some people suggest possible names. I just don't think any of them are, are true. And the thing is, I don't want to say any of them because then that'll spoil it if I accidentally happen to be right. Um, I will say that I texted him the other night to say I'm, I'm starting to write out the plan for the, for the evening of the 2000th episode. And I just want to know, do you have any preference for how far into the, the, the show your segment appears. And he says, no preference, but just want you to know I will steal the show. <laughs> of course he will. Of course he will. What's your favorite, what? thing, what's your favorite thing about Michael Mouse? Yeah, no, I'm not answering that anymore. <laughs> I had to do it. Yeah. I told somebody I wasn't, I wasn't going to ask that on my show anymore until I control Michael Mouse to come on Break the Cycle because he's, uh, you know, he, he's going to big-time me for a long time. I'm sure it'll take a while before I can actually have him on the show. But, uh I, I've asked Dave Smith that and all kinds of people on the show. I always ask him that because it's always a question somebody wants to know. Um, yeah, I know, I know, but I refuse to. Do. I've done it too many times already. <laughs> but then with DeSantis, um, well, if my choice is DeSantis and the, a clone of the other uh, candidate we had last time, then, yeah, I, w- I would vote for DeSantis. And I, if if there's some libertarian who thinks I'm not pure enough because of that, you have to be out of your mind. Yes, I know 
oh, uh, he's wrong on X and Y and Z. I know that. But on the issue of our time, he stood up not just to Fauci and the president, whatever. He stood up to the whole world, practically the entire world. So the entire world has had to go out of its way, make a special effort now to pretend Florida doesn't exist, to keep saying, well, we better go back into lockdown because so-and-so. They have to really try now because the very existence of Florida shows that that's not so. Uh, on Yeah, that. If, if there are people who say that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is one is the most libertarian member of Congress, they're going to criticize me for voting for DeSantis. Right. I don't know what to tell you. I've seen them. I've seen uh, a so-called pragmatist libertarian say, "Yeah, you know, I have my disagreements with her on some economic policy, but you know, like that's just some side thing. You know, the economy is just profits, and we know that's just dirty." Um, you know, I don't. I just don't understand. We started. We started calling them what uh, what Lou Rockwell calls them now: regime libertarians. Yeah, because yeah. they're just wrong on every. I mean, AOC is wrong on everything. I'm sorry, she's wrong on everything. And they'll say, oh, but she's good on immigration or whatever. Ugh. She, she, I mean, she, on everything you can imagine, every bad trend in the country, she's encouraging. Every bad trend, she's encouraging. It, it doesn't matter if it's economic policy, um, monetary theory. She's promoting a hideous monetary theory. She obviously knows nothing about it. If it's energy. Uh, the great Alex Epstein testified recently and she was there, and he just absolutely leveled her, laying out the facts, saying, you are going to keep these people poor. I thought we wanted to make them better off. You are clearly going to keep these people poor. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm, I don't care if these people think I'm impure. For, but shh, Go jump in a lake. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, there's there's a, a lady who's running against her in New York that is is super brash, like ultra New York lady, like got the full New York accent and everything, and uh, she's wild. She's the one that called Nancy Pelosi the C-word. And uh, I'm like, man, it'd be hilarious. It, it will never happen in New York, where she, in her district. But it would be funny uh, if she got beat. Um, one's compliment. Thanks for the uh, the, the $5 um, super chat. Any book you would recommend on monetary policy, inflation? Have already read Hazlitt, but looking for something more in-depth on the topic. Thanks, Tom. Well, um, really... <clears throat> For the, the book that's really going to give you the nuts and bolts of how it all works, because because a lot of these a lot of our material acts as if you already know the the terminology, you already know what everything means, but a book that's really going to break it down uh, is is not out yet, but it's coming out soon, and that is Understanding Money Mechanics by Bob Murphy. So I would keep your eyes peeled for that uh, if you really want to understand. Uh, monetary policy and exactly how it works. Now, um, the the other another book I would recommend, though, and you can read this one for free at the Mises Institute, is um, The Ethics of Money Production by Guido Holtzman. The Ethics of Money Production. Now, even though it sounds like it's just a work of philosophy, there's a lot of economics in there. And Guido is a great economist. But he was also making moral arguments against unsound money. And uh, now you'll notice there are some quotations from popes and stuff in there. That's because he initially wrote it for the Acton Institute, and they didn't want to publish it, I, I think because it's too radical and great. I like the Acton Institute, but they're not, they're not exactly edgy <laughs> like Guido. Uh, so I, I found that to be a very helpful book, um, helping me understand um, kind of how the monetary system works, but also what's wrong with it, not just economically, but morally. True. So those are the two books I would recommend off the top of my head. So wait, Bob's book is already available online because it was serialized. They published one chapter periodically while he was writing it. So all the chapters are can be found somewhere, but it's going to come out in a book really soon. Sure, sure. Uh, Drywall, all thanks for the uh, thanks for the twenty dollars super chat. He says Tom Woods, the man. Uh, you're always you're always taking care of me, Drywall. I appreciate you. Uh, shout out to Jordan Price for becoming a supporter of the channel. Man, it's so cool. Every time you become a supporter of the channel, you get a uh, exclusive live stream after the show with every guest. Uh, but here's another one that I wanted to get into. I was going to talk a little bit about this with you anyway. So level zero, thanks for the five dollar super chat. He says, so when does your Facebook friends are wrong about Cuba come out? That's a great question. Also, what do you think is going to happen with Cuba? Well, um, the thing is, I think by the time I would get that out, it's it's not going to be hot anymore. 
<laughs> so I don't think people will wind up seeing it. Uh, the thing is that those books, though, have kind of already been written. Um, uh, Umberto Fontova has a great book called Fidel that really tells the, the story. On the other hand, the benefit of my ebook would be that it's free. <laughs> you don't have to buy it. So I could see doing that. It's just I don't have a huge amount of material on Cuba. But my episode 797, and you may say, Woods, surely you have not memorized all 2,000 episodes. No, I just yesterday I linked to it, so I happen to know. My episode 797 uh, on Cuba, I think, has all the information you need because it's it answers all the arguments you've heard a million times, like, uh, oh, you're forgetting how bad the regime before Castro was, and look at all the progress they've made under Castro. But then, then what you've left out is, well, let's see, yeah, the numbers look good compared to like 100 years ago, but where were they compared to 50 years ago? So it's like, it, it, it reminds me of the, the old expression, um, how do you make a small fortune? Answer, you start with a large fortune and piss a lot of it away. Well, and likewise, um, Cuba was actually doing really well, according to a lot of metrics in the 1950s, such that even after Castro brings it down a couple of notches, it can still fool people into looking pretty good. But they don't realize that it's actually deteriorated from where it used to be. So all that stuff is in that episode. So I definitely would encourage people to do that. As for what's going to happen, I mean, who can say? There's no way to predict anything like this. And I'm not, I don't have any real connections in the... Uh, in the Cuban community, I mean, I know some people who are very interested in it, but I don't know what's likely to happen, and I don't know what the CIA's role is in, in this. Like, anytime I see protests, whether they're justified or not, I always wonder, does the CIA have a hand in this? And if so, what what's their angle? Sure. I mean, they've, they've let Cuba be, you know, be itself for a long time. What's their angle here? So I, I don't know. I think there are too many um, wild cards to, to really say. But I think it's a great thing to see, and of course it puts the lie to the idea that um, these people, are, it's all just misunderstood and that the, the blockade is what has caused their economic difficulties and that, that doesn't seem to be what the protesters are saying. No, no, and, and everybody here in, uh, in, in the States would love to make it about, well, it's because they want the vaccines. I heard, I've actually heard this from people. They're protesting because they want the vaccines. No, they're protesting because they don't have any food. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you these people are not even worried about COVID. No. Well, it wouldn't even dawn on them. No. It's like, I mean, th that, is a, that is a rich, privileged white man concern. Sure. Honestly. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, shout out to Portal Gun Anarchy 2. If you could give a shout out to the end of the damn wars rally on Twitter, that would be awesome. We could use your support and anyone willing to attend. Shout out to anything in trying to end the wars. What about you, Tom? Um, I, I don't know what, what this is, but I support it. Yeah. Anything that's trying to end the empire and the wars, I'm down. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I just recorded with Scott Horton for tomorrow on um, Biden saying that the uh, war in Afghanistan is coming to an end. And I, I wanted to know from Scott, for one thing, is this going to be one of these, uh, they say they're ending it, but they're not really. But uh, no, it looks, it looks authentic. And it looks like Biden, because I asked him, I said, you know, wh why would Biden do this? There's... There's no real anti-war constituency out there. And as the past couple presidents have shown, just inertia on Afghanistan seems to let you just coast through. So why did he do it? And Scott says, well, since at least 2009, it's been really clear uh, that he's not really interested in propping up the regime in Kabul and that he was saying things like that to Obama. Anyway, you can listen to the episode. But um, yeah, obviously, that's to me, that's my number one issue. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's got, I think it's, I think if you want to be a staunch libertarian, uh, especially in, in living in the empire here, uh, that that's gotta be your number one issue. It's, it's just gotta be, you know, before all the culture stuff, before, you know, the drug stuff, he, I mean, he, I, the, the fed goes hand in hand, obviously, you know, but, um, it's gotta be the number one issue. I mean, could you, could you imagine not looking at that and then going, well, we got to worry about trans rights before we worry about ending these damn wars. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, and the people will say, but can't we can't we do both? And you can. It's just that it never seems to be both. No. It's always just that one issue. Yeah, like that's the only issue under the sun. And meanwhile, you have people who are, well, let's say, way less privileged than anybody in the United States. I don't care what your characteristics are, way less privileged who are getting, you know, 
getting their houses destroyed and their lives ruined and their kids' limbs blown off. Well, that's and, and then to be worried, well, I want to make sure trans people can be part of that. No, 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 no. Trans people should want to be conscientious objectors from this. True. They, they have the unique moral opportunity to say, as marginalized people ourselves, we refuse to be part of the American empire and drop bombs on these people. And that is a completely misplaced understanding of what equality is all about. The equality that we, we favor is not equality of raining down terror on vulnerable people around the world. You know, they have this opportunity to stand up and say that. Yeah, it's a it's a good. It, I mean, it is great, and you know, uh, women have had the opportunity to say that. Uh, you know, in, when it comes to combat, and they, you know, it's like the it's especially the male feminists pushing for it. No, women should be allowed to be in combat. It's like no one should have to be in combat. No one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Holy, holy crap! Uh, that's the biggest super chat I've ever got, Rich Clark. Thanks for the hundred dollar super chat. My goodness. Uh, yes, it's like the Christmas tip. Yeah, he gave me a Christmas tip, man. I appreciate it. You know, I have ninety seven kids, so every time you guys super chat, it feeds another child. I appreciate it. Uh, Rich Clark said, "Thank you both for all you do. Love Tom. I'm a happy supporting listener. Everyone should join. Ask Tom to check his DMs on MeWe. I have a few domains I'd love to transfer for free to Tom in order to help." Uh, combat disinfo and spread liberty. Yeah, pretty cool. Rich Clark, thank you, sir. Uh, one's com- compliment. Thanks for the five dollar. He said strongly considering moving down to Florida from Toronto. Indoor dining gyms, etc., still closed down up here. I've lost all hope in this country. I think, I think a lot of Can- Canadians are losing hope in their country. Tom, what do you think? Well, uh, it's it's not. If by a lot we mean a majority, it's not that. Sure. Unfortunately, True. but but there's a there is a significant minority that's loud and angry. Um, I just wish they could have their own society away from these crazy lunatics, honestly. Uh, very sad and frustrating. But uh, and, and as I say, Adam Schneider is one of those people. And Adam Schneider, by the way, we, we were talking about him before as a guy who does print-on-demand stuff. He was actually in law enforcement. And he says that one of the things that got him out of that was that he just could not imagine enforcing all this crap on people. True. He couldn't do it anymore. I mean, you can rationalize being in law enforcement and being a libertarian. You can come up with different ways to make that work in your mind, but I guess this was just the final straw for him. Yeah, absolutely. We, I think I think what Canada needs... Have you had Chris Skye on your show yet? I have not. Yeah, he's great. He's the, he's the guy who was uh, walking around uh, the, the Canadian airport with the without a mask on and no vaccine and saying, you know, you guys don't have to do this. Our constitution allows us to not have to deal with all this crap. Just tell them no and go on your way. And then he got on all these talk shows and stuff, but he's, he's actually like a bodybuilder. He's all tattooed up and stuff. He's pretty, pretty funny guy, man. You should check him out. He's uh, he's got a big following now too. Uh, trollertarian Tim, Tom, thanks for being in the realm of inspirational libertarians that inspired me. Josh, don't say the R word. Oof. I said I said the R word on the tower the Tower Power uh, Gang Hour podcast uh, last night or the night before, and it kind of set Facebook off that I said a word that has no meaning really anymore because it's not a clinical diagno- diagnosis anymore. So people got a little mad at me. You know which word I'm talking about. I'm not sure I do. It, it used it used to be a clinical diagnosis for a mental illness. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. Okay. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't use that word. It is no longer, uh, but it was a comedy podcast, and I, I just got to let go, and it was fun. Uh, I felt Yeah, bad. that's okay. Um, William Barger said, personal thanks, Josh, for taking talking to people from uh, LPNH during the fiasco and going to the LNC with it. And personal thanks to Tom Woods for rigging Porkfest Soapbox Idol for me to win. Keep up the good work, guys. What did you do, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not so. You just had the best rant. That was that was what made you win. Um, yeah, I mean, I I actually um, knew a couple of the people personally, sure. And I love Dennis Pratt. I mean, in my book, I, w- I wish Dennis could have won, but I totally disagreed with with everything he said. So so I just, in good conscience, couldn't let him win. So so you picked the tall they, guy, huh? That's right. They just put the video of that up. Um, uh, soapbox Idol. They just put it up. I have to check I it out. It. I, I'm going to make it to Pork Fest next year. There's no doubt about it. It'll be my first Pork Fest, and I have to. Well, go. it's going to be. It's. Unf- I mean, it's. It's. My wedding is at the same time, June Oof. 25th. Yeah. But honestly, like they got to just, you know, they got to cut me some slack here. I mean, there, there, there were just no other dates that worked, and I, I have a very limited number of available dates to do anything, and uh, that was the one. So. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you, you I'll know, find out who my real friends are. Yeah, why can't yeah. you? Why can't you get married in the forest in New Hampshire, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that I, is so the opposite of me. Yeah, no shit. I, I'm I'm a big fan of, of your of your fiance though. I gotta say, uh, when we were having the baby, man, she she really was. Uh, you both were really great to us, and uh, we appreciate all the great things that the baby still has. You know, all this. She kind of went all she went all out on our baby registry for sure, and I appreciate you guys very much. Um, well, our pleasure. Jermaine Vincent, another hundred dollar super chat. My goodness, received my Christmas tip. Thank you so much, Tom. You're coming on every, once a week from now on, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh rando person thanks for the the super chat so tom what's what's coming up next for you we're coming up on an hour of course we'll do the uh the short exclusive stream after this but what what is next for tom woods uh well the next thing is um later this year i'm launching my biggest most important project yet and you're the first person who's asked me a question that i can answer by telling them about it and I hinted at it in one of my emails, and I hinted at it on one of my episodes. But it has to do with this, that <clears throat> it's great that we have all the books and articles and videos on all aspects of libertarianism, and I've contributed a chunk of those, so I'm in no way disparaging those. That's really all I can do. I, I, I have no other skills. <laughs> this is it. So I, I'm not disparaging them. But I think a lot of people right now would say that the biggest problems they're facing in their lives have nothing to do with libertarianism. They just have to do with the fact that we're living in a society that can't stand the sight of us. How do you navigate a society like that? So educating your kids, how do you, what, what in heaven's name am I supposed to do and how? Uh, yeah, I know you can just say homeschooling, but that's difficult for some people. Um, so what, what exactly are they supposed to do? Or, all right, now that I'm smart enough as a libertarian to know that my money is going to lose its value over time, so I can't just save dollar bills in a, in a bank account. What, what am I supposed to do? I'm just doomed? What am I supposed to do? And then the answer you get from libertarians uh, half the time is, oh, just buy gold. What? Like that, that's, your, that's your answer? Or Bitcoin. That's a totally unsatisfying answer. So stuff like that. Or relationships, okay? Try navigating the dating scene these days. Good luck, okay? So we've got... We've got one problem after another. We have people feel like they live in communities where they feel like an alien, like no one understands them or they're they're like an outcast if they if they express their ideas. I basically want to create something where every single month we learn something important about leading a fulfilling life, even in a world that hates us. So I'll bring the best education and homeschooling people on. I'll bring the best money people on. But people have an actual track record of knowing what they're talking about. In fact, I remember there was a guy in the first Ron Paul campaign. His name was Larry Lapard, And he had enough money that he was able to take out full-page ads in, I think, the USA Today and maybe other newspapers, where it was an open letter from the founding fathers about Ron Paul. And it was this mock open letter from the founding fathers saying that, look, you've got to vote for Ron Paul. And he did that out of his own money. Okay, he's a Harvard grad, super smart. And he, his investment decisions were so good. And he would just share them with people. He wouldn't charge. He wouldn't have an investment newsletter that cost $1,000 a year. He would just openly and publicly share what his positions were and what moves he made every day so that other people could just do what he did. And he just had an uncanny track record with it. And then I don't remember exactly what regulation he was violating. He was told he was not allowed to do that. Like, what? Th this guy is for free helping the world. And he was not allowed to do it anymore. That's the kind of guy I want to pluck and bring onto my system and, and, and talk to my folks. Um, and so it's, or even people thinking about relocating. You know, okay, well, what are some good places to live? Um, I, I know people all over the country who can help you do that and, and make these decisions. So in other words, it would be not a school of libertarianism, but more of a school of life to, to be able to, uh, to navigate a world that is hostile to us, where we feel like outcasts, but where now, with the help of this community and the resources and the, the genuine experts that I'm going to bring on, little by little, we can make things better and better and more prosperous and, and, and uh, successful 
uh, for us, both not not just financially, but but spiritually and, and emotionally, and 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 just the satisfaction we derive from life, I think will be enhanced by by what I'm launching. Well, I love that, Tom. I think that's a great thing. I I had uh, Patrick Smith on the show a while back. He's the uh, the host of Anarchy Cast and uh, and uh, uh, Disenthrall Media, and he did a, he does a bunch of stuff with Anarcho uh, uh, Polko. He one of the most important things that I've ever really had anybody on my show say to me was I said, uh, "What do you think's the best way to to further you know our goals and and make a better society?" And he said, "You got to start with yourself." He said, "You you make yourself better, you create, you enrich your life, and then your community will watch that, and they want to do better." And so, any way we can do that, make everyone better, that's a great idea, Tom. Absolutely. Um, so I'm very pleased about that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, please let me know what I can do to help out. I will. You know, I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy. In case anybody's wondering, I'm not one. I'm not one of these scholarly guys like the rest of the people I have on the show. Uh, I'm just a blue collar wor- working guy from the West Coast. Uh, but I do read all your books. <laughs> thank you uh rich clark thanks for the super chat you're uh he says you're not just an outcast you're an extremist drywall uh drywall again with another 20 dollars super chat tom where can all these wonderful people find you and support you at uh that's a good question well of course i would like to send them to one of the ebooks wouldn't i as you um, should yeah so i mean so so let's do aoc is wrong.com go there you get that great ebook, and then you'll start hearing from me. And if you hate hearing from me, it's just with one click, you'll never hear from me again. Um, and, you know, every once in a while, somebody gets on that list somehow, I don't know how, and they're unhappy, and they disagree with me, so I don't know why they subscribe in the first place. And they have to, in all caps, tell me that they, they demand that they get unsubscribed. Now, by law, all such emails have an unsubscribe link at the bottom. So there's no need ever to announce to me that you want to unsubscribe. Just click the link. So, so I, I should just ignore them and, and just unsubscribe them. But I always respond by saying, all my emails by law contain an unsubscribe link at the bottom. I will click it for you. Yeah. And, th- and that is the, that's the last word they ever hear from me. But I don't get that many unsubscribes. W- once people are on, they want to stay on. Sure, sure. And yeah, there are people that are signing up to, to be there for a reason. So, Tom, I appreciate the hell out of you, man. You have uh, un- unwittingly, unknowingly probably uh, been a mentor to me over the last several years. Uh, there's several times where I've had to take to heart things that you've said to me, including a private phone call we had not too long ago uh, when I was still debating running for chair. But uh, I do appreciate you, sir, and I will see you here in just a couple minutes for the exclusive stream. Okay. Thank you. Guys, I don't need to tell you to go follow Tom Woods. I'm sure most of you already do. Uh, you're probably here because of Tom Woods, not because of me. Uh, so I appreciate you guys checking out the show. Please make sure you hit subscribe on my YouTube channel. I have 157,000 kids to feed in my home. Uh, and that, that uh, I'm trying to grift that ad revenue to, uh, to being becoming a stay-at-home dad uh, like Mr. Tom Woods someday. You know, uh, But... Guys, check out our sponsors at Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, TopLobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, One of the greatest hand graphic artists you'll ever meet. He's the one who does all of my thumbnails, all the artwork for the show. Uh, You can use BTC at checkout for that as well for a 10% discount. Or you can join my Patreon or subscribe star at uh, slash BreakTheCycleJS. Get all kinds of cool swag. Uh, Plus, you get all of his designs two weeks early uh, with a 30% discount uh, before it goes to the general population. Plus, there's a private Discord server that has Stefan Kinsella in it because he became a patron of my show last night. So that was pretty cool. Um, Of course, AnthemPlanning.com for all your uh, uh, emergency and crisis planning needs. These people are doing a job the government sucks at much more efficiently and at much cheaper cost. See what they can do for your business, personal life, or home today. They're amazing people, libertarians, Mises Caucus from Delaware. Guys, if you want to see the exclusive streams, every show I do, I'm doing five shows a week, Monday through Friday. All you have to do is become a member of this channel. You can hit join right underneath any of my videos or scroll all the way back up to the top of the chat. I posted the link there. Uh, It's six bucks a month. You get custom emojis for all these fire live chats that we have all the time. Plus, you get to see the live uh, exclusive streams where we talk about all the controversial stuff and, and sometimes we just kick back and tell funny jokes or have a drink. It's it's a good time. Uh, so so check that out or you can join the Patreon and subscribe star and get the, uh, the content uploaded the next day. Coming up on the show tomorrow, I have Mr. Brad Palumbo from Feed will be on the show. That's going to be an interesting one. And then Friday, I have my friend Austin Peterson on the show. We're going to find out if he really does support 
uh, the atomic bombs in Japan. But I will see you tomorrow for the show with Brad. Some of you I will see here in about two minutes in the exclusive stream with Mr. Tom Woods where we're going to talk about something controversial, I know. Uh, guys, thank you for becoming members. Thank you, Stephen Nicola, for the uh, for the super chat. Come into the exclusive stream if you want to ask more questions. I will see you tomorrow. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle. Got anything, uh, got anything There are legal reasons I just have to explain. The lyrics of my last song I seem to contain. A violent call to action in the verse and the frame. But I just landed in Minecraft. The helicopter part wasn't referenced to. GTA 5 and the things you do. So when you finally come in, God will excuse me because I just landed in Minecraft. But Chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold oh, Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless there's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse But in Minecraft, just in Minecraft You're nothing I mean, you